Hey, we are on Talking Truth. Welcome. Now, part two. We are. This is the second one in the series of six, going over Brian Clark's brand new book, God's Not Like That. A fantastic book. We have nine copies at the house, Brian. Who did the forward to that book? You know what? Uh, a very lovely couple named Dan and Kara. Oh, wow. Wrote a great forward. For they you. did. I think that's what puts you on the bestsellers list. Yeah, I'm very <laughs> thankful for it. Um, I'm here with my wife, Kara, as a matter of fact. And uh, chances are that you've learned from your family about happiness, and it doesn't exactly match up to God's idea of really matters in this life. So here's what we're doing today. We're going to relearn what it takes to be truly happy, which a lot of people are searching for, hope and happiness. So hopefully this will uh, help you down the road. And uh, we love doing this. Brian's going to read the message, and then Karen and I will comment on it. This is, again, part two of our series, God's Not Like That. And here's Brian Clark. <laughs> you know, according to the Bible, God has created the family to be the author, Brian Clark. <laughs> according Best to the Bible. Bestseller. All right. <laughs> Bestseller. Could, could do a fake intro. All right, all right. According to the Bible, God has created the family to be the ultimate classroom where God has learned and passed on from generation to generation. This is not done through formal lessons or lectures at home. It's more subtle than that. It's primarily done through picturing or representing God at home. Paul Vitz, a professor of psychology at New York University, wrote a book entitled Faith of the Fatherless. In his book, he examines the lives of 13 historical atheists, such as Nietzsche, Freud, Bertrand Russell, H.G. Wells, Madeleine Murray O'Hare, and others. And he concludes, looking back at our 13 major historical rejectors of a personal God, we find a weak, dead, or abusive father in every case. Our earthly fathers picture our heavenly father, these atheists all had bad experiences with their earthly fathers, so their way of coping was to explain away the idea of a heavenly father. Now, this certainly isn't the case with all atheists, but the research Vitz presents should not be quickly dismissed. The correlation is real. I have a friend whose dad was a pastor and his mom a fairly well-known Bible teacher and writer. He was the last of many children, and was not only unexpected, but unwanted. His mom reminded him of this regularly. She would lose her temper and beat him. He said at times she would bang his head against the drywall so hard it would break the drywall, and his father did nothing to stop it. Is it any wonder he left home an atheist? Those lessons are more dramatic and obvious, but much of what happens at home is what's more subtle. Take, for example, what I refer to as the consumer family. These are the people that put the family above everything, including God. This is a form of idolatry. It's family for family's sake. Rather than picturing God at home, they replace God at home. Family becomes God. Of course, this is not good. When this happens, God becomes more like a genie in a bottle that is there to grant you three wishes. The idea is God is there to serve you and to make you happy. In a consumer family, lots of things become more important than God. We visit God on Sunday, 
but do our own thing the rest of the week. The message is subtle, but it's very clear. God is important, but not that important. We obviously need lots of other things besides God to make us happy. One of the best ways to measure this is to examine where time and money go. These two currencies provide an accurate barometer of what matters most at home. Yes, we're all busy, but busy doing what? I mean, what matters most? Seems to me we all have time for the things that matter most to us. If we have time for soccer games and dance lessons and weekends at the cabin, but no time for God, I guess that speaks for itself. We obviously believe something other than God is needed to make us happy. Or what about money? We often hear people say in various contexts, follow the money. Well, Jesus agrees. He says where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. You can tell me all day long you worship Jesus, but where you spend your money, that tells the real story. Those who grew up in consumer homes keep searching for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. They are desperately searching for something to satisfy because they were subtly taught God can't make you happy. Oh, God is important, but you need way more than God to be happy. So we keep searching for happiness in a hundred other pursuits. Consumer families create a picture of God that is weak and impotent. I mean, he can't be all that great if he's that far down the priority list. Children raised in consumer families often leave home and walk away from God. The parents seem confused by this, but fail to recognize that children are simply living out the values they learned at home. God isn't that important. So what about you? I mean, what do you value? What are you living for? What do you think will make you happy? Perhaps you've never said it, but the truth is you think you need much more than God to be happy. I mean, where did you learn that? Who taught you that value system? Is that really how you want to live? Do you really believe God can't satisfy you? If you were raised in a consumer family, you're probably very self-centered. Everything is about you and what you want and what you need. If that's how you're living, I mean, come on, how's that working out for you? Many of these beliefs and values are so subtle, we don't even give them much thought. We just know we can't seem to find the life that satisfies our soul. This consumer thing isn't working. I mean, maybe it's time to rethink what really matters and who it is that can ultimately satisfy. So let's bring in Dan and Kara. Let's talk about this. Well, since I'm not self-centered and it's not all about me, I'm going to let Kara start. Well, that's that's smooth. <laughs> you like that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very humble man. Mm-hmm. However, the last time I did uh, bang my head against the wall so hard the drywall broke was at the Braves-Red Sox game last night. Oh, oh last night? <laughs> I wondered about that bruise. <laughs> so what do you think about this idea, Brian, of a consumer family? I think it's a really big deal. Uh, I think in our Christian churches we've talked a lot about family and family values But I think it's possible to push that to the point where it's family for family's sake. 
and family becomes more important to us even than God. I mean, Jesus was pretty clear that if you're going to follow him, he needs to be first, even above family. So I, I do think it's a big problem. I think people pour into their kids um, in what it looks like to others uh, on the outside is a, a way to compensate for, you know, they go to church on Sunday, but there's no relationship. So they put their relationship they should have with God into that. I think that's part of it. I think, you know, as parents, we love our children and we love spending time with our children. But it can reach a point where that we think that's what's going to make us happy even more than God. And so little by little, family family becomes more important to us than God. And I think it shows up in values and choices we make. I think the problem with that is, is you have someone, I just, I read an article um, and it was on the news and they were talking about um, a man who was going to see jail time for drunk driving. Well, he had killed two, two kids, um, 16, 18 year old. And one of the comments in the news story was a, a mother of one of the children who said um, she went to church for 10 years. It really bothered me because, I mean, I, I spend a great deal of my time. I, I just want to see people make it to heaven, right? And um, it bothered me because she said, I was going to church for 10 years, and now I'm mad at God. And... It bothered me because there clearly wasn't a relationship there with God. It was the doing, the consumer. Would you would you say a consumer is someone who would go to church um, and get the benefits of it, but it's really not the relationship piece? I mean, how many of those people end up in your office? Do any of them? Or are they just so mad about their circumstances that they don't seek you out? Well, there's just so many ways to end up with a messed up, view of God. Mm -hmm. But I think what I want to model for my kids is what matters most to me. I want to model for them what it looks like to pursue Jesus. I want to model for them what it looks like to worship him. I want to model for them my priorities and values. And so I want to really be thoughtful about what I'm communicating to them through my time, what I do with my money, uh, how we organize and run our family. Uh, because I, I think if I say certain things that seem to be contrary to how I live my life, right? I think it's how I live my life that's going to that's gonna take preeminence in terms of my kids and their value system. And it, if in my choices it seems to them God isn't all that important. I think kids pick up on that and realize God's quite a ways down the priority list. And I think part of the problem is as Christians, we can be really concerned that we look good. Yeah. And maybe need to be more concerned what it means to really be good, you know, that the cuz you can go to church every week just just to look good. Well, so many of these sports and activities are now on Sundays. Yeah, it's a huge problem. It makes it uh, extremely difficult. You're picking and choosing. Yeah. It actually them would look worse in the eyes of your family because you're going, well, we need to do a baseball game instead of giving that time to worship. 
I think it's a huge problem, but I also think it's a problem your kids are going to have to face as adults the rest of their lives. So it's like, how do we think this through and teach them how to prioritize and make difficult decisions because it it is something they're going to face the rest of their lives. So as parents, it's like, are we teaching our kids? Are we helping them to think through a value system? You have to say no to things yeah. if you're going to say yes to other things. So to see it maybe as an opportunity. I've to- often, yeah, I've often thought of that because our kids, they're not sports kids. Our, you know, Wyatt, he's a hunt and fishing guy. Reagan's in the, in the drama plays and and so we have not had that conflict. But I would say just to be, again, this is where I can be honest and forthcoming. And it would be tough for me. And I love Jesus above all things. And yet I would find myself going, if my son played baseball, daughter, whatever, um, going, well, you can't be on the team unless you can show up for these Sunday activities. It would be hard to well, deny. Not only, not only that, though, that would, to me, it seems like that would push your kid away from it more than want to be a part of the Christian community. Man, so I can't play baseball because, you know, I mean, it seems like to me that would push them away. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be like, uh, um, well, you know what, then we'll go to Saturday night service. Or we'll go to a Wednesday night service. Right. I mean, there's several services. You don't have to go on Sunday. Um, I mean, you could do it that way. I mean, but just denying they can't play a sport because of that, it seems like, seems like to me that would push away because I know a lot of Christian kids whose parents were very strict. You know, you can't do that. On, on we're going to church here. We're going on Wednesday night. I mean, when I lived in when I lived in Florida, I mean, it was Sunday. It was Sunday night. It was Wednesday. Uh, then you went to Christian school, and then and I know a lot of people were like, "It's all we do. It's all we do." Yeah. And then they didn't want to be a part yeah. of it. So isn't there some kind of a, I, I get it that God should come first. I get it, but you don't want to constantly shove all this down a kid's throat either because you're dealing with you know what they may like to this sport this is fun for them i mean how would you balance that out yeah it's a great it's a great question you don't want to get into some legalistic no we have to be at all these services and if you're at all these services somehow it makes you more spiritual or more acceptable before god i think it's more thinking through how do we communicate a value system of what matters most to us. So like some parents, their kids are in in about everything that's offered. It isn't a sport. It's multiple sports and it's dance right. and it's music. And they're going 100 miles an hour and they're really not together as a family. And I, I think families getting caught up in this accelerated pace of the culture is not even good for the kids. It, it, at some no. point, conversations and I think have that's to all, be had. And what you, what are you going to be in? What are you going to prioritize? And I think that's all by worldly design. You know, because when I was growing up, they didn't have games on Sunday. Yeah. 
because the culture at the time was everybody went to church on Sunday, so nothing happened on Sunday uh, except NFL games or pro sports. But everything else was all put off on Sunday. And then gradually in the 80s and the yeah, late 80s and 90s. Yeah, we're much more secular culture yes, today. Yes, absolutely. So it's even a lot harder. But I, I think the danger is we can justify all that, that because it's family. And God wants us to be right. all about the family. And it's like, okay. no, God wants us, us to be all about him. So how do we have those conversations? How do we work this through with our kids? Because I'll guarantee you when your kid turns 18 and is addicted to some drug, how far he can throw a baseball isn't going to matter that right. much. Yeah. So it's like, how do we do this together as a family so our kids walk away saying, I think the most important thing to my parents was their relationship to God. Right. And two, then uh, reflecting on yourself. I mean, if you're listening and this is convicting to you to go, you know what, maybe because of my childhood and my view of God, why am I pouring my kids into all these things in order for them to achieve or to work? Uh, music and this sport and then when this sport's done this sport maybe there's something going on there with you as to why you're feeding into this need for your kids to do all these activities I mean one of the things we'll end up talking about in this uh, season is is ultimately it's about discipleship of our kids and you just can't do discipleship in the fast lane So at some point, we have to step off the treadmill and figure out how are we going to do this because time's limited. Right. We only get this many years. And the hard thing about parenting is you don't really find out how well you did until it's too late to go back and change a lot of that because they leave home and they move on. Um, Yeah. As a a Christian, it's never too late, but as as the opportunity we have as parents— that's a pretty limited season. Well, and it applies to all things. I know that in certain circumstances, I might be fearful of doing something and then internalizing that and saying, Lord, I say I trust you, so I'm going to go forward in this and not let my kids see the anxiety that's going to come with me doing a certain activity or something. I'm just going to show them that I trust you. You know, so, I mean, it, it applies to all things. Sure. You know. And I think bringing this back around uh, to our listeners, I think this isn't primarily like a how to parent. Right. Uh, season, it's looking at your own story. And am I chasing other things to be happy? Am I trying to find that pot at the end of the rainbow? Is there something that causes me to think, God can't make me happy. I need something else. And if so, where did I learn that? And is that correct? And do I need to rethink some things? Yeah, and someone right now listening going, well, I'm not happy, or this stuff isn't filling. How would they go about then the first steps in pursuing uh, Jesus and filling the hole that they've been trying to fill with all this other junk? with Jesus. Yeah, I think it comes back to you got to get in the word. You got to get connected with the church that's going to help you with that, with other believers to do it in community. And you have to make some decisions about values and priorities. 
um, or it's not going to happen. It doesn't just magically happen. You have to decide to pursue Jesus and take steps in that direction. Uh, and I think if you get connected with a good Bible teaching church, they, they can be very helpful in, right. in helping you think through that. Hi, this is Kara Whitney, and I'm super excited to be part of this podcast. This season's series is based on Brian's book, God's Not Like That. Now, this book has been out for a few months, and it's already a bestseller, so that should tell you something. I know I've got a copy, and if you'd like one too, just visit TalkinTruth.com. That's talk with the letter N, truth.com. That's all for now, but we'll be here next week again with Talkin' Truth, so be sure to subscribe and don't miss one single episode. Get her done.